You're listening to The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. All right, here we come now. Uh, happy Halloween to everyone. It's uh, The Ron and Don Show. Happy Halloween 2019. We are just a couple days away from Wow. Spells Halloween. Anyways. The Great uh, Pumpkin's back. What's that? The Great Pumpkin's back. Great Pumpkin's back. I learned that. H-A-L-L-O-W-W-E-N spells Halloween. That was our, uh, that's my first grade play right there, where I played the Great Pumpkin. I wanted to be Charlie Brown, but uh, my friend Bobby Erickson got to be Charlie Brown. I never forgave him for that. Hmm. So, uh, and I didn't think I would do well as Sally, so I just went with the uh, Great Pumpkin on the way. Hey, I uh, hope you're having a great, great week. Uh, don't forget the Ron and Don Show now drops on Wednesdays. And if you give us a like, you subscribe, we really appreciate that. Yeah, that right? helps out a lot, especially on Apple iTunes. Uh, if you give us a star rating, also give us a review. And then just copy and paste it, share it around. Like, that's the, the greatest thing that we can get from you uh, to help us out. The t-shirts are available. Five bucks goes to Charlie's Dinosaur at ronandon.com. Also, the dog bandanas. And I'm getting uh, tons of dog pictures. Love the dog pictures with the bandanas. You promised me a dog picture of Charlie the dog oh. with the Ron and Don bandana. Yeah. Have not received that yet. Well, the problem is we took a picture, and then we lost that bandana, and then I found out that he had eaten most of his bandana. <laughs> That's uh, going to happen. Yeah. He hasn't been... He hasn't... We we haven't gone to the vet to do the big operation yet. You're supposed to wait till he's one. He just turned one, so I think we're ready for that ready, big operation. Yeah, I think that that'll And then help. maybe he'll stop eating things like his bandana and my sock. He doesn't eat both socks, just one of the sock. And then for what, whatever reason, he loves to eat a certain part of your underwear that uh, makes them unwearable afterwards. And it's really funny, the certain part that he likes to eat uh, of your underwear. We've been, I got to ask this quick question first. Yes. We've uh, had this debate for years on the Ron and Don Show on Halloween week. And it is this. When is too old to trick or treat? And uh, we've had uh, our old compadre, Rachel Bell, that used to be, and we were on Ron and Don Show. She went till she was 18 years old, which I found ridiculous. So our friends at Civic Science did a poll oh, they to did. find out the exact numbers. And I'm shocked by this. So only 18% of people got this right, uh, according to my way of doing it. 18% says younger than 12. 12's the cutoff age. After uh, 12, you can no longer trick-or-treat in costume from door to door. Uh, and then tw- uh, 21% said right at 12. 12 is the magic number. So where are these numbers from? These are from a, a poll from uh, civicscience.com. Oh, okay. But uh, older than 15, 14% of Americans believe that 15 and older can still put on a costume, go door to door, and ask for a full-size Snickers bar. That just, like, if this happens to me this year, because I'm in a house now, I'm slamming the door on that kid. If a kid shows up and he's clearly 16 or 17 years old, that wearing a, a costume at the door begging for candy, that's it. They should have their own job by then. Just go buy your own candy. Wow. Why? Why are you? So, why? Why you? Why you feel so strongly about? I just, that? It gets fired up on this. Somebody just came by my house at any age and had a costume on and wanted a piece of candy. I, I, that's I. I would probably just give them a piece of candy I at think any be, age. Yeah, I think so. so Someone's thirty nine years old in a costume. You're give I think it takes a lot of courage to be thirty nine years old and stop buying trick or treat. You know and I, for one, would love to see that. So my friend Charles, for the the other day, for instance. He saw that I had an eggplant costume, and we all know what that emoji means. And so, nonetheless, he knocked on my door and he said, hey, can I borrow the emoji costume? And I think he's 51 years old uh, Saturday night because he's going out a big uh, uh, a big party. And I said, as long as you stop by 
my house on Halloween night, still dresses that eggplant in the emoji costume, then I would be happy uh, uh, to loan you the costume as long as you come back by on your trick or treat. I, 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 I would think, you know, Charles, don't you? Wouldn't you love to see? I him would love to see Charles on Halloween eggplant. night. Stop by, knock on your door, and trick or treat. So uh, I will reimagine. I'm going to reevaluate my uh, stance on that. You might be right. I might yeah. be being too harsh on this. Uh, I'm going to go get full size candy bars just in case people are coming to the door. But some of the on outfits, Thursday. some of the outfits that people wear. Uh, I mean, because it has turned into a holiday. It has turned into a holiday for adults, I think. Maybe maybe, maybe that's your point. I did see. That has been stolen from children, and adults go out, and they own Halloween now. And you look at the billions of dollars that is spent on uh, Halloween. It's pretty outstanding. One of the hot costumes this year is Sexy's Popeye Chicken Sandwich. It says sold out across the middle. <laughs> the, I, the model doesn't really look like a chicken sandwich, but it's the Sexy Popeye's sold out chicken sandwich. Okay. Yeah, and everything's Miley Cyrus now. Is Every, it? Yeah, everything's Miley Cyrus, and and I I wanted to not like Miley Cyrus, and then I turned on some of her music. She's good, man. She's great. I her, fell in love. With her, her dad just keeps reinventing himself. I like everything, should does he write all her music? No, but Billy Ray was just on that uh, Old Town Road or whatever the number heck one that like song country is. song yeah. ever. Yeah. And so like he. Just but I'm keeps... not talking about Billy Ray. I'm talking about his daughter. I know Hannah, Hannah Montana. I'm just saying they both continue to reinvent themselves and become. She went through this big breakup and she's gone on and she's she's dating everybody. Yeah, she's yeah da- that every, is true. She's dated everyone on planet Earth at this point. But from that and from all her brokenness, just comes great music. And I was like, it's not even a one-hit wonder. You dial up her music, you're like, wow. So you're uh, kind of into this. You're a Katie Cat. Yes. You're a Swifty. And that, does she have a crew? I'm in the uh, I'm in the Bayhive. You're in the Bayhive. Whatever crew she's in, I know she's dating a 22 year old by the name of Cody Simpson. Now. So you're so in now I'm Miley's following crew. him on Instagram, and you should see his abs. They are amazing. And I guess Cody then was on, he's at a public pool the other day, and I saw this on page six. He's on his phone supposedly talking to her. It's their first fight. Wow. Since she broke up with Liam, and then she went out with Caitlin, and now she's going out with Cody. You really do read page six. <laughs> I love Miley Cyrus. So, yeah, whatever crew she's in, I'm in that crew. All right. Hey, uh, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, Ron and I got to do something really awesome over the weekend. Our thanks to Fran Nordstrom. Uh, Guild, because they invited us to come and to be the hosts of the Downtown Hoedown. And what was the Downtown Hoedown? It happened Friday night. They're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, it's sold out. Uh, They're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for Children's Hospital and for the Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine Unit. Coming up next, we'll talk to Dave Einmo. He's a clinical practice manager there. And what's really amazing about Dave's story is Dave started out as one of these guys just working at Microsoft. He was a rock and roll artist. He traveled the country. Uh, and then he visited Children's Hospital one day. And he saw what they were doing. He said, you know what? I want to be a part of this. And they said, well, you can't be because you don't have a degree to work here. He said, oh, yeah? He went back. He quit his job at Microsoft. And... He went and got his nursing degree, and then he showed back up at Children's Hospital and said, Hey, I'm here. Let's do this thing. I'm ready to go to work on behalf of kids. And uh, he gave us a tour and showed us what they do at Children's Hospital the other day when it comes to mental health and the mental well-being of kids. 
they are state-of-the-art. People come from all over the country and all over the world to study what they are doing at Children's Hospital right now because they don't put kids in rubber rooms. They don't tie them down to, to carts when they're going through crisis. They meet them where they are at, and what they are doing is so powerful, and we want to tell you about it next. Jo- Dave joins us next right here. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You should buy a shirt. It's the Ron and Don Nation t-shirt. $5 goes toward helping kids. It's cops helping kids. Find out more at ronanddon.com. You're listening to my dad's podcast. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on ronanddonradio.com. All right, welcome back to uh, the Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, everything Ron and Don is at ronanddon.com. A few nights ago, Ron and I got to go to something really cool. It was called the Downtown Hoedown, and we got to put on our cowboy hats or cowboy boots, hang out with all the cowgirls, the cowboys, and Ron, you said we ate some chow, didn't we? Ate some chow. I got to get on a mechanical bull, which actually <laughs> I stayed on this time. Yeah. They were very kind, and they didn't turn it up very high, But so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really cool. My friend Christy Peterson reached out to me. I've known her for years. Uh, in fact, her father used to own the course uh, uh, was it Coors or Miller? Anyway, Christy, if you're listening, he owned a beer distributor. Right. And I needed a letter to get on the radio at KJRAM. And her dad, her late father, actually wrote a letter and uh, helped me get on because he's one of the big sponsors there at KJR back in the day, 25 years ago. So our thanks to the Petersons for that. They also own Seattle Models Guild. And then uh, she has been involved in the Fran Nordstrom Guild. And this guild has been involved for almost 40 years now, helping kids at Children's Hospital. And this year what they wanted to do with uh, the downtown hoedown is raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for Children's Hospital and for a particular thing that is happening at Children's Hospital. And they really wanted to support people like Dave Einmo. In fact, Dave Einmo is here right now. He's the psychiatry. Dave, help me with the title. What is your title at Children's Hospital? Yeah, it takes I'm, up the whole card. Yeah. <laughs> it takes up a whole card. That's the way I like it, right? Yeah. It's, I'm a clinical practice manager on the psychiatry and behavioral medicine unit. Yeah. yeah, and we got to meet you a few weeks ago because we decided, let's go to Children's Hospital. Let's see what we're actually raising money for. So mm-hmm. we came in with a bunch of the Guild members, and then you gave us a tour. Before you gave us a tour, and by the way, Dave looks cool. He looks like, in fact... He just uh, walked into your house, started picking up all your guitars and playing them, Ron. He well, looks- I, I couldn't resist. Yeah, I mean, you no. got guitars on your wall. They, they, they need to be played. Yeah, that's right. right. And he plays and them better than I do. He looks like a rock star, and that's because before uh, you start working at Children's, you you have been kind of a rock star, haven't you? I've done some touring, and yeah, I've been, I've been, yeah, I've enjoyed playing music live. Yeah. Hello, know- Cleveland! It's really... <laughs> well, I, we had a horrible show in Cleveland. Actually. I've had good shows in Cleveland, but that's the one show where... where we were performing, and one person came to the show. Oh, wow. Pretty, pretty embarrassing. That yeah. Is, yeah. Embarrassing. We actually gave the money back to the yeah. booker and apologized. That's funny. But I digress. Yeah. Anyway, tell everybody how you <laughs> landed at Children's and specifically what you do there, because your journey there is kind of an incredible, inspiring journey, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a different route than I think most people take in uh, coming to the work at the hospital. So when I graduated from college, I went to Microsoft, and I worked there for 10 years and as a program manager. 
and um, then started a family. So um, took some time off to raise a family. And when I decided to come back to work, I was really thinking about what do I want to do to uh, when I go back to work. And um, I thought a lot about becoming a nurse, but that would require going back to college. So, but I decided to do it in main part was because of experiences that I had had. Um, my best friend, uh, when I graduated from college, completed suicide and it, it had a really big impact on me. Hmm. So when I had an opportunity to go back and try to do something new, I decided to try to do something where I could try to help kids like, like him to um, be in a situation where there would be a better outcome. Yeah. And was really inspired to go back and went, went to Seattle U and got a nursing degree. And, and uh, the whole time was very focused on becoming a nurse yeah. for psychiatry. So what do you do on the, on the floor now at Children's yeah. Hospital? And a lot of people yeah. may not know about this floor. Yeah. I didn't know about this floor. And I didn't know about all the kids that come. Yeah. And all the parents that come that need help with kids. And especially uh, kids sometimes with mental challenges, mental illness, or even mental disorders, right? Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'm, I started out as a charge. Well, I started out as a primary nurse, then became a charge nurse there. So I worked as a charge nurse for about six years, and then I became a clinical practice manager about a year ago. Yeah, and uh, in doing that, it really opened up my eyes to all of the opportunities we have to work with families and to work with with these kids that are going through these crises. That's a big part of what I do is is working with with the families. And so it's tempting to write a headline on this that would be really scintillating and clickbaity on the, the <laughs> state of affairs with young people yeah. in the Pacific Northwest. But is there an epidemic of mental health going on right now? Is there an epidemic of depression or suicidal tendencies? What is happening? Because the statistics mm -hmm. jump off the page to you, or they did to me at least. Yeah, I mean, the, when you look at the numbers of kids that are going into a hospital, we have 41 beds in our unit. And, um, you know, when people hear that, they think, that's a lot of beds, but it's all, it's pretty much at cap. And if you look at the different hospitals around, around Washington state, <clears throat> they are also really close to cap. And so it does beg the question, what's going on? Why are so many kids coming to the hospital to, uh, to address mental well, health? Why are they? Yeah. And I, I think that's, it's really difficult question to answer because I think there's, there's a lot of different things that are happening. I think. Um, in part, we, you, people can point to things like social media and say the pressures with social media and people posting photos of these idealistic uh, situations, people looking at that and comparing themselves. I don't know. I mean, I think that that could be part of it, but I also think social media has really helped uh, increase the conversation. So I kind of have mixed feelings on that. So let me see if I understand ways. this right. You guys have 41 beds, mm -hmm. and these are only beds. These aren't kids that broke an arm or broke a leg or had surgery. These are 41 beds just for kids that are facing, uh, what is this? Is it mental mental health issues? Yeah, yeah. so kids with ADHD, depression, and lots of different so things. So yeah. not only are they full, you have a kind of permanent waiting list, right? Yeah, so we, we basically, our unit brings in everyone that comes in from the ED, our emergency department, as well as outside hospitals. So we serve Washington State, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting. When we were on your unit, you said we're going to go for a walk, and we yeah. want to make sure that we really respect the privacy of the kids that are here. And at the same time, we want to give you a snapshot of some of the great work that is done here. One thing I noticed, uh, all the folks that are there, like yourself, uh, and some of, the, some of the nurses, some of the caregivers, care workers, they are just dressed super cool, like they just walked out of like a cool Gap commercial or something, right? Why? Why you're you're kind of dressed 
like the kids, and I thought I'd see a bunch of people walking around scrubs. You guys don't yeah. do that at Children's well, Hospital. Well, no, because what, one of the things, we, and I'm glad you brought that up, one of the things we really try to do is create an environment that feels welcoming. And I think hospitals in general can feel very sterile. And in, in units where you need things to have that appearance, that, that's appropriate. But what we are trying to do is, is make it more welcoming so that it feels a little bit more like you're at home. And that's, that's, that's part of our philosophy in everything. For example, we, the parents that come on our unit, we give them keys so that they can get around the unit. Um, we have a family lounge that they can hang out in. We have beds that the families uh, can actually spend the night in, in the room with their child if they want to. Yeah. So it's, it, again, it's just a more welcoming part of it. And, the, and the, the clothes and the appearance is more people dress the way that they would dress at home when they when they come to our work too yeah and you said if, if you see some kids in crisis don't let that shock you mm-hmm. uh that happens mm-hmm. we don't tie kids down to gurneys we don't put them in rubber rooms uh our staff we know how to address this we kind of know how to meet them where they're at and what we're going to do is just kind of move out of that space yeah it happened uh, not once but twice while we were there and that's exactly what we did and we didn't stare i didn't know what was going on but i really felt wonderful for these children because you weren't strapping them to a gurney you were meeting them where they were at in that moment of crisis and that's really important to you isn't it yeah it is really important and the reason we do that is it's not going to be very therapeutic to take a kid that's got some behavioral issues and just be putting them onto a gurney instead if a kid is becomes unsafe or, or becomes um doing things that are that are going to be potentially unsafe to people around him we 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 move we evade from the area and we have coaches that then continue to work with that person. But like when you guys came and we had someone that was having some challenges, we left that space and then allowed the coaches to continue working with that kid, as opposed to some other hospitals where they might take that situation and forcibly move that kid to a different spot. So Dave, we have a ton of families that listen to this show, a ton yeah. of grandmas and grandpas. What would you say to them? Because we were talking before, after we talked about guitars and amps, <laughs> our generation, if I told my mom and dad, I'm sad today, all right, rub some dirt on it, go to school. Like right, there was right. that, that conversation was five seconds long. Uh, if, if people now are hearing this and trying to evolve mm-hmm. and trying to do better than the way they were raised, the stat that broke my heart in the, the stat sheet that we got is years can elapse uh, before a young person gets any kind of treatment. Right. If, if the bells are going off in their head and going, I think we're in this situation. Maybe it doesn't involve hospitalization, but I got a young person, could be my niece, could be my kid, could be a grandchild. I think they're struggling. What, what do they do? What should people do? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I, I, I think you're right in the sense of um, things are very different now. And I think that's a really positive thing. And uh, having that conversation and, and getting away from the stigma of mental health and instead focusing on what can we do to help these kids when they're, when they're talking about these things. But the question of what to do, I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge it and not try to um, just say, hey, everything's going to be okay. I think that invalidates uh, the feeling that that kid's going through. And instead having that conversation and talking about what, what that kid would like, what, what do you, what do you want? What can I do to help you? And sometimes, you know, especially a, a child's not necessarily going to know what they need. And that'd be a time to bring in the, go to the doctor, go to your primary care doctor and say, Hey, you know, th- here's the things I'm concerned about. Let's talk about some kind of outpatient care that might be a psychiatrist or a therapist to help that kid. The kids we see on the unit are, are kids that have got to the point where outpatient care isn't really going to work anymore. 
or not, it's not that it's not going to work. It's just that it hasn't been working yet. Right. And so they're getting to the point where they're actually having to come into an inpatient hospital. So the key would be to help these kids before it gets to that point. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that my son's school is elementary school. They have these groups that meet. And they have a trained counselor come in, and the kids have to sign up for it. That's great. And my son, who's nine years old, he came to me the other day, because he knows that I go and I talk to somebody. Two years ago, I started therapy, and I'm open with him about that. That's great. Uh, I grew up in a family where you don't, you didn't talk about your mm-hmm. feelings. Four and, therapists have retired since. Yeah. But if you need to go to the dentist, you're not going to say, well, I, I don't want to talk about dental work because that's yeah. right, right. Exactly. I mean, it should be the same way with mental health. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and that's what the downtown hoedown was all about. That's yeah. what the Fran Nordstrom girls are. That's, that's why Seattle, Seattle children, that's why we're doing this, this podcast. That's why we're talking about these things. Cause what I've noticed is when I, t- I'm 52 years old, when I talk to my guy friends about going to therapy, Super uncomfortable. Yeah, just it's probably silent. They it they, is. They, they stare at their feet. It is. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, try yeah. to convince me right. that there's nothing wrong with me. That I don't need any help. Just have another beer. Let's watch some football. Let's go play some pool. Let's go for a run. Whatever it yeah. is, uh, and it's all going to be okay. And then they let me know that they're there for me, which mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. They are men. Men are kind of there for men. But as far as talking about those feelings, no interest. Uh, my female friends, tons of interest in that. Yeah. Tons of interest. And what I noticed with my son. He said to me the other day, he goes, Daddy, would you sign this piece of paper? And in signing this piece of paper, it allows him to go into one of these groups. And so it started a conversation. I said, why would you like me to sign this piece of paper? He goes, you know, he goes, I just have a lot of feelings about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I would like to go in and sit with some other kids my age. And I would like to talk about those feelings. And I'm like, you know what? I can't wait to sign this for you so you can go and talk about your feelings. But I don't know a lot of nine-year-olds that would stand up for themselves in that way. So what are some things? But but that's changing. Is that? I think the conversations you're having, more parents need to have those conversations and more grandparents need to have those conversations with their kids and their grandchildren. Asking them, how how are you doing? And I think when you ask that question to a typical kid, they usually, oh, everything's fine. But like dig deeper, ask them specific questions. Spend some time just hanging out and seeing what they like to do and you start to learn a little bit more about how they're really doing yeah. you, and, and you, you know why i think i'm afraid to have that conversation and i'll just be totally vulnerable yeah. right now is because i'm going to hear things where i am <laughs> failing as a parent yeah and, and 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 my son lives in two different homes and i have a co-parent that would be that's I got to admit, my ego is tied up in that. It is tied up <laughs> well, in that. I have two, two teenage daughters. I get to hear about all my feelings all the time. You do? Yeah. Tell, tell yeah. them to rub some dirt on it. They'll be fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, but I think what you're talking about is really important. And, it, and it's being vulnerable. And it's being genuine and authentic. And what you're doing is role modeling to, to, to your kids about what, um, what, what is a healthy way to communicate. Yeah. And it's okay to talk about those feelings. Yeah. It's, as a matter of fact, it's really important. Yeah, we learned the other between the ages of ten and twenty-four, uh, and I think the stat says suicide is the number two killer right now. Kids yeah. between the ages of ten and twenty-four, which is so so heartbreaking. Somebody from the Fran Nordstrom Guild asked you this question. I don't know if you remember, and you were kind enough to meet with us a couple months ago. We all had so many questions for you. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Thanks yeah. for coming. And before you walked us around, it they, they they asked this question. They said, "What about the kids?" that don't want to get admitted to children's hospital. Mm -hmm. And you said, you said, you know, that happens sometimes, but it's not a huge problem. The huge problem sometimes can be when the kids come here and they feel safe. And then all of a sudden the kids don't 
want to leave. They want to stay. And I don't know if you feel, do you feel comfortable sharing the story and we're not naming kids or giving times or we're not giving anything away here, but you had a young person that was leaving children's didn't want to leave and you and a police officer had to run out in traffic and intervene. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was a difficult day. And I, um, there are kids that I think for whatever reason feel safer in, in, in the hospital. And it kind of makes sense in a way because they're getting the things that they need. Um, they're able to have these conversations like what we're talking about. And depending on, you know, what's happening outside of their life, it's, it's an opportunity for them to really have the safety net that's around them. The, the, the event you're talking about, and again, you know, I can't get into all the, sure. the details because I want to make sure that we're ensuring privacy, but occasionally we do have kids that will do things to try to make sure that they stay at the hospital because mm. they feel that safety. Yeah. And, uh, with those kids, we need to work on a slightly different plan to make sure they get the outpatient care that they need. Um, we don't want to be, <laughs> that plan doesn't in- include being rude just so that we, so that they leave. Right. But, but we do want to talk to them about why is it that you feel safe here and what can we do so that you continue to feel safe when you go yeah. outside. I go and I, uh, Dave, I want to finish with this question. I, I, I go and like, we just had a monster mash at my son's school. Nice. And just spending an hour there. I am so wiped out. I am so wiped out from that. Be- because of all the kids? Yeah. yeah, from yeah, all, and, yeah. And, and then my son is now playing the trumpet. He's been playing for four four weeks. And he's playing with 10 other kids that have been playing for four weeks. Trumpets are loud. Yeah, they are pretty yeah, loud. Are. And I, w- I went to trumpet practice the other day. And I couldn't get enough of it. But I also couldn't wait to leave. Were, I, you, I don't, were you also playing the trumpet? Uh, no, no. But there's a music teacher there. And on uh-huh. music day, then the trombones come. Okay. And then they leave. And then you have 10 or 12 nine-year-olds that come with their tubas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just in a, so they have the patience of Job. There's no doubt for you. And you're dealing with so much crisis. You see so much trauma. Your staff is always dealing with crisis and trauma. Mm-hmm. Who do you guys talk to, to make sure that your mental health is okay. And that you're not taking this home to your family each and every night. Yeah. And I think in terms of first responders and second responders and third responders out there, you're, you're, you're feeling seen, that trauma each and every day. How do, how, do you, how do you look out for your people and how do you look out for you? Well, one thing that we do is we have everybody check in with their managers frequently. Mm-hmm. And in those check-ins, we have, uh, it's basically called a personal responsibility plan. But what we do is we encourage everyone to have some way to deal with resiliency so that they're thinking about how can I recharge myself when I leave the unit? What are some things I can do to make sure that when I arrive, I'm feeling fresh and I'm staying at what we call our baseline? A big part of that is just um, thinking about when you're with the kids, what what can you do to help yourself at baseline? So for example, for me, I was thinking about how can I make sure I have empathy even for the, the, the kid that is struggling the most and is maybe the most challenging and it's maybe personally trying to throw attacks at me, maybe even being physically aggressive with me. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was better understanding why they were there to then understand how I could then have the empathy for them. I think that's a, a big part of it. Yeah. Do you ever wake up and wish you were back at, at Microsoft? Uh, has not happened. No. Have you ever wake up much. and wish you were playing in Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not at that show. <laughs> I've had, had night, nightmares of that show. Yeah. yeah. Right. No. Real quick before you go, and Dave Imos has been kind enough to join us. He works with psychiatry and behavioral on the uh, medicine unit, and he's a clinical practice manager at Children's Hospital. Uh, one or two things 
uh, parents should be looking at, dialed into, as our kids are growing up, to make sure that they're not on a bridge too far and we missed, we missed helping them. One, two, three things. Real quick, what do you got for us? Well, I think going back to what we were talking about, of making sure that you're having those conversations with your kid. And I know I'm a parent of two teenagers. I know we get busy and we're driving people to soccer games and trying to cook dinner and all those things. But really taking those opportunities to sit down and have those conversations so you can identify it. The things I'd be looking out for would be social withdrawal. So are, are, is your kid not doing the things that they used to do that they really enjoyed? Are they not hanging out with their friends as much as they used to be? Things like that that would make me want to dig a little bit deeper and make sure that they're doing okay. If you see changes in, in behavior, things like that. And then making sure you, you pull in the professionals and, and go talk to your doctor and, and talk about having, the, having your kid talk to somebody. Yeah, that's okay to do that. It's okay. To, it's, it's encouraged. I encourage you all. You, yeah. you're, like what you're doing. Yeah. But maybe not with the trumpet. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much. I got to tell you, I was really challenged by a man. As a man, I went and met you, and I went, "Damn, that guy's authentic." And I am so. I went and told a couple of my friends. I went, "He is so authentic. I am not that authentic. I wish I was more authentic, but that's what I'm working on." That's right. right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Right, it's thank good, you, guys. It, appreciate it. It's good to know that Children's Hospital is right here in our backyard. Our thanks to, and I know they're still counting up the funds, but they raised hundreds of thousands so of dollars. amazing. Thank you. The other night. And that all is, that is going toward Children's. And before we go, what's really cool is when you walk into Children's Hospital, uh, there are names up all over the walls there. And as you look at these names, these are all the people that have given to Children's Hospital over the years. And the Fran Nordstrom Guild has uh, been up on that wall, I think, for the past over 30 years mm-hmm. now, which yeah. is incredible, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And and I want, I want to just take a moment, too, to just say how inspiring it is to work with the foundation. You know, one big difference with Seattle Children's Hospital is it is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I think, comes down to all the different philosophies of, of what, why we do what we do. But having all these parts, members of the foundation that are giving money to the hospital to help us build the kind of resources we're talking about. Our unit, the one that you saw, Scott Tree Paper Home Ed's unit, looks so different than, than what I think people have this vision of uh, a hospital looking like, a psychiatric hospital. I mean, how would you describe it? Looks, I, I think it looks like a Swedish uh, hotel. Yeah, a, it a would Swedish be a place I'd want to go hang out for a weekend. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think people from the foundation because of that. I mean, they, they give us the resources to build a unit like that that's welcoming to bust down that stigma that has an amazing patio and playground and has a rock climbing wall and, and we have a pool and we have things that I think make it more of a place to go that creates some normalcy. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about Seattle Children's Hospital, holidays are right around the corner and I know a lot of times people are trying to figure out, hey, we're going to raise some money, but who are we going to raise money for? Why not Seattle Children's? And uh, why not this behavioral unit? And you can reach out to Barbara at Seattle Children's, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can reach out to her. So just reach out to Barbara at Seattle Children's Hospital. Say you heard this on the Ron and Don podcast. And uh, she can even arrange some type of little tour or a little, uh, yeah, you just you get locked in a room with David and you can ask him all kinds of questions. And then finally they kick you just, out. They're just like, we don't gotta bring go. up the Cleveland show. Okay? That's this right. This is the last time I'm talking about Cleveland. That's right. All right. We'll come back and say bye. It's the Ron and Don show. You're listening to the Ron and Don on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
All right, before we get out of here, I want to thank uh, Dave Einmos from uh, Stop and Buy for Children's Hospital. Thanks to Fran Nordstrom Guild, specifically Christy Peterson, for contacting Ron and myself, allowing us to be a part of the hoedown that they had. The showdown, hoedown. It was a fantastic time. Raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for Children's Hospital. And I wanted to leave you uh, with some concrete things that, that I've read that I thought were really fascinating. Because I think when it comes to parenting, you finally figure out where your child is. You think you do. And then all of a sudden, they change on you! Stop changing! I finally figured you out as an eight-year-old, and then you turned nine! What am I supposed to do? Uh, anyway, there's a couple things that we can do. In fact, uh, I was just reading about uh, some of the things that we can do in science and health. And here's five things as a parent uh, that we could all focus on if we want to make sure that our kids have better mental health. Are you ready for these? Number one, according to the Journal of Science and Health when it comes to kids and behavioral problems, uh, they said, don't, when, it, when it comes to your children, don't be a liar. Don't lie to your kids and make sure Make sure when your kids ask, when they ask you for the truth, that you tell them the truth and that you find a way to tell them the truth. Because many times uh, when it comes to kids and it comes even embellishing, if we embellish with our kids or we lie to our kids, they pick up on that. They know that. They know that you're a liar. And then in turn, they feel like it's okay to go out and lie to others and then what they end up doing a lot of times is they end up lying about their feelings. When somebody asks them or they try to have a conversation about their feelings, kids will lie about that. And the reason they'll do that is because their parents. My dad lies or my mom lies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So number one, don't be a liar because your kids will end up being a liar too. But, no- but also don't beat someone up with the truth. Sometimes people out of anger will beat. And I, I've done this at Give me an example. What do you mean by that? Well, like if, if I feel uh, like you hurt my feelings or something you've done that injured me in some way, and then I'm going to tell you the truth, quote unquote, but really what I'm doing is I'm trying to injure you back and I'm, I'm, I'm hiding behind this shield of, Hey man, I was just telling you the truth. You're a big fat jerk. You know what I'm saying? It's like I can, I can, I can swing something back at you. So tell the truth, but just make sure your motivation is to be a truth teller and not trying to injure back. You know what? Uh, somebody approached you and I, uh, someone that we met at the downtown hoedown the other night, and they said, "Hey, on one of your old radio shows, and I know that you guys were goofing around. You were making fun of overweight people, and you were fat shaming people." And they approached us and they said, hey, I just want to let you know that I felt like I was one of those people that you were fat shaming. And you turn around and immediately apologized. Yeah, to I, I, I did. I've, I've struggled with my weight as well. And so I said, hey, if that was me that said that, I don't, she didn't, this person didn't say whether or not it was me or you. Um, it, 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 it would be you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. To, to apologize with that. So yeah. I think that, that that's all I'm saying on the, uh, there have been moments in my life where I've been on both sides of that equation of using quote unquote telling the truth to try and, and the real motivation was to injure them back because mm. I felt injured yeah. or hurt. All right. So they say, uh, number one, you want to be a better parent or even a better, a better friend or a better, better colleague. Uh, don't, don't, don't lie. I think that that's good. And they say our kids pick up on that really quick. Number two, they say, watch your tone of voice. They did studies on this. And they say when a parent comes at a child as a boss, especially when it comes to homework, there's always a negative effect as they've studied this for years and they study kids and they study homework. They also said if you come at them with a neutral voice, 
if you're trying to be neutral, that doesn't always work well that either. It has to be hard for you because this is your neutral voice. This and you is- sound like you're yelling at me. <laughs> Yeah, but if you but if you come at kids and you have empathy in your voice, especially when it comes to homework, and you sit down and you're even willing to help them with the homework, they say kids overall will perform much much better and they respond much better in life when they don't feel like they're being bossed around or with a neutral voice when they feel like you don't care. When you show kids that you have empathy, that is something that I'm trying to learn. That is something I, I that I think that you're trying to learn too. And it is it is hard sometimes. Because you feel like, damn it, I am being empathetic and you're not seeing my empathy. Yeah! Is the way I feel sometimes. I don't know if I'm as aggressive <laughs> as that, but I, I, your point point taken. Yeah, so they say work on your tone of voice because your tone of voice is really, really important. Third thing, and, and Dave talked about this when he was when he was here, make sure you're having conversations with kids, that you're not just talking at kids, you're having conversations. And pick times during the day where you know you could have those conversations. The number one time I can have a conversation with my son, and we don't have screens involved. It's one of the reasons I drive him to school. He doesn't jump on the bus. is because that drive each and every day, it allows me to have a conversation with him that he doesn't have at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, he is wiped out. Right. And he he does not want to have a conversation. He has nothing to say. Beginning of the day, there's a lot to say, and there's a lot of gems that I hear from him, and he really speaks truth to me and at me, and he's not afraid to take a filter off and just blast me sometimes. And sometimes dad deserves to be blasted. Those conversations happen on 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 the way to school, and so I really try to protect those. I'm not on my phone. He's not on a screen. It's just myself and, and Gio. I, I, I saw really – I heard an interesting uh, podcast about uh, being observant like this with your kids and involve yeah. their social media. There have been some studies done. If you pay attention to the tone of like your kid's Instagram account – and you start to see all the pictures become desaturated or black and white. All of a sudden, you're seeing pictures of mundane things or dark imagery. Wow. Uh, you can pick up on a mood change or maybe even a depression. Hmm. And they interviewed this one young lady in this piece that I was uh, listening to. And she's like, just go through my feed and look at it. She's like, there's not a bright color. There's not a blue sky. There's not a picture of a flower or a puppy or anything happy. And it's like I desaturated everything because uh, that's the mood I was feeling so pay attention to even things like that where if you see a change in their socials or a change in their social activity it could be a sign yeah uh fourth thing they looked at kids involved in the arts and it's playing or listening to music drawing uh painting or even making things or if they're just even reading for enjoyment they say that kids especially between the ages of 8 and 15 their self-esteem skyrockets And one of the reasons why their self-esteem skyrockets is they're creating these things. And creating these things, they also think about, who could I share these things with? Even if I'm just reading a book, who could I share this book with? Or I'm creating this art, who could I create this art for? Who could I give this art to? And then also when they're sitting there and they're playing uh, music or they're learning music, not only are they doing that and feeling like they're accomplishing something because they just learned a song or they just learned a new note on their trumpet, but then they're doing that with other kids, and especially being involved in a band, especially a marching band or a band at school or being involved in a dance troupe. Any of that stuff really increases uh, self-esteem, which I t- thought was financing. Uh, f- uh, financing. I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> and finally they said, finally they said, make sure that you're not oversharing about your kids online. 
It's one thing to share a picture. It's another thing to share all about their life, including specifically where they go to school or what their address is or specific things that they shared that they told you in confidence and then you turned around and went out and shared those things online. Uh, I think of a friend of mine right now and her daughter is really going through some challenging times uh, and she's going through recovery. And what this person does is she goes out and she gives a lot of details of her daughter's recovery, and she does that and says, please pray for her, and here's the reasons why you should, you should pray for yeah, her. Yeah, too much. And finally, I told her, I said, you know, I, I think your heart is in the right place asking people to pray, but when you're getting so specific about why you want people to pray because you feel like your daughter's in crisis, maybe, just maybe, you're sharing, is what they call it, too much sharing by a parent. You're sharing. And uh, we got to cut that stuff out and make sure as our kids grow up that they get to share the stuff that they want to share, not the things that we want to share. So uh, just a few ideas there that I thought were really good. And I am probably over five on all those things. We got to work on all those things right now, including my trumpet playing. So anyway, hey, thanks for stopping by and listening to the Ron and Dawn show today. Thanks for being part of the downtown hoedown. Thanks for giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Fran Nordstrom Guild, so they in turn now can turn around and give all that stuff to Children's Hospital. If you'd like to be a part of something bigger than yourself and help Children's Hospital this holiday season, just dial them up and say, hey, uh, I heard Christy Peterson uh, talk about this on the Ron and Don podcast, and we would like to talk to Barbara at Children's Hospital to find out more, and uh, you can find out more, and they can even arrange for a little tour for you, just like we did with Dave Imo, who was just here moments ago. All right? You keep your head up, your shoulders back, and keep talking to kids, all right? Keep having those conversations. And don't forget that mental health is something that we all should be talking about, all right? It's the Ron and Don Show, and you find us only at ronanddon.com and only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ron and Don are licensed real estate brokers with Windermere Midtown. Are you ready to buy or sell a home? Yeah, call my dad or his best friend Ron. You should see them at an open house. They're hilarious.